If you got a Bible with you today, open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking through the first seven verses. Marching along through 1 Peter, aren't we? A couple of things while you're flipping there. When you get it, say you got it. Fantastic. We're getting quicker, aren't we? Mm. A couple of things to note. One, we got a potluck right after. Did you know about that? Mm, I'll see you there. It's one. We're going to celebrate what God's been doing um, and, uh, through our missions team and involvement in missions throughout the world. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to hear a good report. It's going to be a good time. Um, two, I want to piggyback off of what Mallory and Ian said just a moment ago. Children's ministry is not cheap and free daycare. It's just not. Um, and little boys and girls, especially little boys and girls that follow Jesus are, are just learning how to trust Jesus. They're not the future of the church. They actually are members of the church. They're actually like real life, full, like human people, right? That Jesus redeemed. And so the, the ministry, just because they are tiny, and their vocabulary is not as fantastic as yours or mine. Um, and they can't mow grass yet. Some of them can't. Emery, Emery's going to be mowing grass soon. It's going to be great. Um, just because they can't do those things doesn't mean that we shouldn't give them our very best, right? And so I would urge you, if God is like tugging on your heart and you're saying, nah, I just don't want to go, I'm like, I would ask you, go. At least talk with Mallory. At least talk with Debbie, okay? Can you commit to that? Can you do that? It got silent there. That's okay. Hey, we'll talk more about it in a couple weeks, all right? First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Yet another uncomfortable topic um, that Peter is bringing before us today. If you are able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word, please? Peter pulls no punches. Life is too important to pull punches. This is what God's word says to us today. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothes that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very, very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you 
of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. So my wife and I, we got married June 6th, uh, 2015. That's right. Um, June 6th, 2015. And, you know, like leading up to our, our marriage, um, I, I thought like anyone who had a strong shot at like lasting for a really long time, I thought it was us. I mean, we're still married today. Like, yeah, praise God, right? So far, so good, guys. Um, you know, I, I proposed in the park that we met at because I'm a romantic. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I can't share that. I want to share that. I'm going to share that. We're going to talk about this afterward, actually. Um, a family member of ours gave me a ring to propose with, like, to propose with. Um, we had a really healthy, helpful couple um, walk through premarital counseling with us. And we talked through really agonizing, uncomfortable conversations that every couple that wants to be married should talk through, like finances and sex and communication. And we can go down the line, right? Um, we got married in a forest. It was like something out of, out of the Lord of the Rings. Like it was, it was poetic, guys. It was, it was wonderful. And then, and then I move in. Um, we've been married now for about eight, eight years. That's, that's the count, a little bit more than that. The first two years were awful. never going to that church again. I just divorced my wife because of this guy. The first two years were awful. Um, first, it starts with who gets control over the thermostat. Then it gets to the point of how we spend those finances. You don't spend enough time with me. You don't care about me. Arguing turns into shouting turns into saying very hateful things to one another, primarily me, not my wife. Turns into something needs to happen or this isn't going to last. And so in March 2017, we're sitting in the, uh, the living room of one of my pastors and his wife and we're just weeping. My wife desperately wants us to work out. And I'm thinking, if this conversation doesn't work out, I'm gone. I don't know if the, the, the D word has ever come up in your marital conversations before or not. I pray that they haven't. But when they do, like, everything changes. And sometimes, oftentimes, most of the time, not for the better. Forty to fifty percent of marriages today end in divorce. Sixty to seventy percent of those second-time folks that have been married end up in divorce. It wasn't stats that changed my heart or changed hers. 
It was the grace of God that did for us, in us. Seeing God's kind and gentle love towards us, towards us sinners, who we fully realized that we were marrying sinners. We didn't realize the great cost that we would have to pay day after day after day by waking up to someone that messes up as much as ourselves. And he would bring passages to bear like Ephesians 5. Husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Remember how we talk about over the the exposition of, of 1 Peter, the way that we treat people and the way that we interact with people, whether it's government or whether it's employer or servants or whatever, like it reveals how and what we believe to be true about God. And this is most certainly true and perhaps most true in your marriage. Alicia let out in a tremendous way um, when, we, when we first started doing the marital thing, the, the marital counseling thing. And I would contend that the reason why we're still together is because of the grace of God in her heart and life. Not because I'm a great husband. Because oftentimes I wasn't, and sometimes it's still a struggle to be a mediocre to good husband. The passage that we're looking at today, it focuses on marriage. Um, Unlike Paul, Peter flips the script here. Peter flips the script, and while Paul likes to focus in on male headship and men leading out, the bulk of the conversation that we just read here is directed towards who? It's directed towards women. And some of these passages, I'm just going to give it all the way up front. Like some of these passages has been used um, in, and weaponized in a way that have kept women in really unhealthy situations. And Peter would have nothing of that. This does not advocate for you to stay in an abusive marriage. That's, he, Peter would, would, that's inconceivable to him. Outside of abuse and outside of infidelity, he wants you to see marriage as a gift. He wants you to see marriage as a gift. Man. What does it look like to be a healthy, thriving, married couple in today's day? Looks like being well-ordered, but what do we mean by that? Let's jump down. Let's look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at verse 7 with this as well. First, their their homes are well-ordered, right? Likewise, just like those that are under the rule of the emperor or who are servants, he starts with, Wives, be subject to your husbands. There should not be any man here that says amen. Right? That's wisdom. You did, you did well, man. Notice what he says, though. He doesn't say just like husbands in general, right? We're not... We're not polygamists. We don't have multiple husbands, multiple wives. We're not, we're not talking about that. 
He also doesn't say someone else's husband. He doesn't say, "Mm, be subject to the husband you wish you had, not the one that you have. We could only trade them in, right? Church, this is not a bad thing. The language here of being subject or coming under joyfully someone else is not a bad thing, even though there are people outside of here that would want to tell you otherwise. We can talk created order all day long. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, right? Adam came first. This is a good thing. Out of Adam came Eve. Would you... Would you also agree that that is a good thing? I would. It's a beautiful thing. Hierarchy and roles, those aren't bad. God made you with a particular shape and a particular role and gave you particular gifts. He had those things in mind when he made you and shaped you. They'd speak nothing to your value and worth. We get to Genesis, though, Genesis 3, and the fall comes. Genesis 3.16 says, to Eve specifically, hear this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall lead you. The problem wasn't Adam leading in the garden. The problem wasn't with Adam, and it wasn't with Eve in her role either. that, That wasn't it. After sin entered the world, their relationship began to disintegrate. Their desire wasn't for themselves, like each other anymore. It was only for themselves. The problem wasn't the role. The problem then became their desire, specifically Eve's. He goes on to say that there are some who might not believe. There are some husbands in the Greco-Roman world, just like there are today, who didn't follow Jesus. There was a woman or two in the Asia Minor that came to Jesus after they were married. And sin's influence, it's felt in every single human relationship that we have And we're always going to experience it and feel it until he comes again for us. But this passage is not about women being barefoot and pregnant and making sandwiches for their spouse. He's not talking about blind, unflinching obedience. It's not saying that women can't work outside of the home. It doesn't mean that women can't be bosses in a particular field of industry either. It doesn't mean that she has to continue to bend the knee over and again in her home. The question that we have to wrestle with is why is that? Here's a word for husbands and a gentle reminder for wives. The one that she ultimately submits to and follows and loves is not you. It is Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
the reason why your wife might want to follow your leadership is not because your breakfast in bed is banging. It's not. It's not because you think of her every now and then or kind and gentle towards her. The reason why she submits and follows is because she follows Jesus who loved her and gave himself for her. The privilege and responsibility, men, that you have to lead your wife is given to you by Jesus. Jesus calls you to shepherd, to pastor, to lead, to shepherd your wife. Men, did you know that? When you hear that, is there something that like makes you feel like, I don't feel very comfortable with being called pastor in my home? You are the picture of male headship and, and like spiritual leadership in your home, brothers. You have more authority in your home than I do. When it comes to who leads your wife best, it's you, it's not me. It's not another brother in here. It's you. The first priority isn't you, though. It's Christ. This is why they want to know you and love you and come alongside you and listen to you. Go down to verse 7 then. This connects so well, doesn't it? What does he say? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. When we don't lead well, when we don't shepherd our homes well, did you know that that places a stumbling block, like it shuts the door and hinders the prayers that you offer to God? That's terrifying. Because you and I both know the only way we're able to walk through this life is with God constantly dispensing grace and power to us. And we're fools to think that we can do life on our own without his help. And to not love your spouse is offensive to him. And it not only shuts off opportunity and provision for you, it also hinders your family as well. Do you feel that? But if that's true, then the opposite is true too. So if we do this well, God hears us. We can stand in the gap for our families. We can lead well. What does it look like to lead well then? I see three different things. First, you live with your spouse in the same home, sharing the same bed, sharing intimacy with one another, not just sexual, although that's part of it, but not one area of your life is hidden from your spouse. Do you have deep, dark crevices, men, in your heart and in your life that you do not want to share with the one that God gave to you? He says, live with them. 
Bear your entire soul, your entire heart to them. He says, live in according to knowledge. That's literally what he's saying here. When he says, live with understanding. Women are not to be problems that you solve. Rather, they're gardens that you tend to. You work as scientists, brothers, to love and figure out what makes your wife, not someone else's wife, or the burden of learning how to communicate to women in general. No, you, you you just gotta love your wife well. That's it. Know what your wife is about. And then we lift them up in honor. It's a tricky phrase. He says women are the weaker vessel. Is this true? It's inspired scripture. We have to say that. But what is he saying when he says women are the weaker vessel at the very least? Um, Dan Doriani, he's a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary. He's helpful here. At the very least, it means that men can bench more than women, okay? It means it's talking about physical prowess here, at the very least. But in in Peter's own day, women were, were seen as morally inferior. Your testimony in court would be less than a man, potentially less than a slave. Women were dependent upon men. It's as simple as that. That's what he's referring to here. But men, your responsibility in lifting them up in honor is to say the exact opposite of what a culture wants to, wants to define them as. When it says that they're worthless or that their worth is dependent upon what they do, You say, nah, that's not true. You, just like me, are heirs of grace. You've received God's grace given to us by Jesus. You remind her of who she is. So then we get back to the question of why follow your husband, ladies? Our homes are well-ordered, that's true, but they're also well-ordered hearts as well. Our desires are in, are in order as well. Verses two through four, what does he say? This is, it reflects respectful and pure conduct. That word we see again, respectful. It means reverent. It also means fearful. Question, who is this wife perhaps your wife, who is she to be fearful of, men? It ain't you, but it's Jesus, the king, right? Her heart has been so arrested by Christ that she orders not only her home, but also her desires around him and what he's done. A friend of mine, this was last year, He's 42 now. There was a moment in time when he stopped eating smoked meat and drinking beer. Um, That's a big deal for men in the Midwest, if you did not know that. Um, Didn't care about watching what he ate. 
loved ice cream, until one day he found himself in a hospital. And then when he wakes up, he's having uh, like a pretty significant diagnosis. His heart was only pumping at 12% capacity. That's right. He should have died. He didn't. And for a number of months, he just carried around like this little, little electric box, this jump box, for whenever his heart might fail. It would shock him back awake. It would shock him back alive. I don't, I don't know what they're called. I've seen it though. I didn't see him shocked back to life yet. He's better now. Do you know why though? He stopped eating salty food. He stopped eating sugary stuff. He stopped drinking beer. In other words, there was something that happened in his life that caused his heart to be arrested in such a way that he needed to change. Doesn't do those things anymore. He's actually healthy now. And what Jesus has done for not just our wives, but every individual in here, this is reason for us to repent and trust. Why not be infatuated with Christ? Why not be captivated by his strength and power? Why not be moved by his mercy? If God has given us his own son, how would he not give us all things? Why would we not want to know him? Why would we not want to trust him? Why would we not want to order everything in our life around him despite the chaos swirling around us? Order in the home, it comes out of a well-ordered heart. Femininity, being a good wife specifically, it, it doesn't just tap on the, out, on the outside of a person, it, it flows out of the interiority of the heart. In 2007, good old Jezebel.com gave a, a, a crazy report, what they say. That Americans alone spent $39 billion on cosmetics. Japan was number two, 26 billion. And in France, Germany, and the UK, they came up uh, third, fourth, and fifth, right? America also led in cosmetic surgeries, accounting for about 18% of them in that year. And so the idea of not allowing or pushing for adornment, as the language that Peter would use, which is braids and jewelry, it's, it's not an argument saying don't do those things. He's saying don't use them as a sign of prestige. It's an apologetic. He's giving an argument here against what the world values. And while we like to show off, some of us do. I, I, I feel the temptation towards it. I get that. It's a temptation to look good on the outside. But it might not come from the kind of heart that's beautiful. You know the story of Beauty and the Beast. The prince, right? He had an ugly heart and he was cursed. And so he looked like a hideous monster. It was only after he met Belle, his heart started to change from ugly to beautiful and true and virtuous. 
And he's brought back to his old self. What is most beautiful or what is most cherished or should be most cherished? Peter says that it is the transformed life hidden in Christ, specifically a gentle, a gentle, a gentle and quiet spirit. Are you known to be transformed or are you known to be selfish? Are you known by your friends and family to be someone that is gentle and quiet? Are you known to bicker and backbite and badger? Picture of femininity. (laughs) It's the difference between Jackie Hill Perry, Rosaria Butterfield, and being a Karen. Not our Karens, obviously. You familiar with the term Karen? Some of the younger folks certainly do. I need you to educate some of the older folks later on today. Can you commit to that for me? Do you know what a Karen is? Yeah. A Karen, per, per this Atlantic uh, article, The Karen is an annoying, interfering female adult who complains about everything. She's also a policewoman for all bad behavior. Helen Lewis, the the author of the article, she said, this type of woman is both the kind of petty enforcer who patrols other people's failures while being entitled to failure themselves. It's the difference between being a Karen or being Jackie and Rosaria. Who are they? Jackie and Rosaria were both really active in the LGBTQ community for a very long time until they encountered the gospel of Jesus Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and Jesus promises eternal life to anyone that would trust him and leave their old life. And it radically changed their heart and who even they were attracted to. It doesn't mean that it was easy, but they had strong opinions in their old life about the patriarchy. And about how men and women should be seen in equals in all manners of life. Rosario Butterfield, who was a professor of English at a very prestigious university, leaves to become a housewife of a pastor. That's a very radical change from who she used to be. Jackie Hill Perry, still active in... Uh, spoken word poetry, but she's married to a man now, joyfully, happily. She wants to do that. Doesn't mean that there aren't struggles for her sometimes, but she's joyfully learned to follow his lead as she fell more and more in love with Jesus. And so joyfully following your husband, ladies, joyfully following your husband does not mean rolling over And it does not mean being a doormat. 
doesn't mean never speaking up or never contending. It means giving the benefit of the doubt, though. It means believing that he has your best future and your best in mind. It means learning, giving sound advice, advice, and not looking for a fight. So short of abuse or infidelity, again, see marriage as a gift from God's good hand. All the conflict that you might have had along the way, do not let it drive your heart. Instead, he's pushing you over and again, men and women, to find your hope not in circumstance, but in what Jesus has done. Look at verses five and six with me. This is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah, Abraham, Lord, called calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything. This is probably the most difficult verse in, in this section right now. Sarah was one of these amazing women who hoped in God through really perilous circumstances where her husband was supposed to defend her and instead offers her up so that he wouldn't get executed. He offers her up to Pharaoh, right? And she had her own string of relational trouble when she offered up Hagar, her servant, as a way to expedite God's promises. Even though she made significant mistakes and even though her husband made significant mistakes. God still followed through on his promises. And so ladies like him, you can do these two things. He gives these two things. Do good and do not fear. Whatever the situation is, great husband, good husband, not great husband, no husband. He still calls you to do the same thing and do the same thing that he called you to before. Or you might say though, Tim, my husband doesn't love me the way that Jesus loves me. And I would say, yes, no husband does. You might say, my husband doesn't even follow Jesus. And Peter would say, I get that. But through your character and your hope in Jesus, God calls him to be rescued by your good works and your steadfast trust in him. So my past relationships show that I'm eventually going to get hurt by someone. And so I need to protect myself. I would say, sister, Christ knows you and he sees you. And that while we're called to be wise, he's the one that provides for you and protects you. So keep going in the direction you know Jesus has called you to today, which is gentleness and quiet spiritedness, lovingly following hubby's lead. And likewise for men, you and I have a significant responsibility given to us by Jesus. 
well-ordered marriages, it takes two people, friends. Two people to do it. To do it well, at least. Fulfilling God's design for their lives. And this happens. Relational intimacy deepens. And greater trust in Christ happens too. Would you pray with me for a moment? I want to give you two things to pray on. Speaking to two different groups of people here. First, men, I want to talk to you. I want you to pray for your relationship today. Pray for your home. Pray for your wife. Maybe pastorally you can wrap your arm around your spouse. And praise God for the treasure that she is. Praying silently for her. Or maybe you haven't lived in an understanding way with her. Maybe you haven't lifted her up in honor. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to respond in repentance and scheming and thinking about how you can do just that. Writing down on a piece of paper, I'm going to do X because the gospel calls me to this. I'm going to lift my wife up in honor and not drag her down. Ladies, would you pray for your own homes and your heart? Asking that your homes and your heart and your hope would be ordered in such a way that Jesus is king. Not just your family. Would you pray that every family decision would be a Jesus decision? Pray for your husband that he would lead with gentle strength and humility. Single people, I have not forgotten about you. Some in here that God has not called to be married. Or maybe you have the desire and God has not given a spouse yet. The great joy, though, is your desire is good. But Jesus is best too. I want to pray for you that you would be reminded of God's love for you. And human companionship is good and wonderful and should be sought. But a good husband and a faithful wife point us to our Redeemer 
So I want to do that for you now. Father, thank you for the joy and and the great responsibility of being called yours. Um, Being called to holy, gentle obedience to you. First for single people. God, you know their need. You know how they ache and you know their desires. And I... I'm a couple years removed from that. I don't know how they feel and what they're experiencing right now. You do, though, and I pray that you would be very big to them right now. I pray that their experience in singleness would be great and joyful, whether widowed or waiting. Jesus, I pray that they would feel treasured, um, not just by you, but by our church too. They are not forgotten. I see them. You see them. We love them. Then for families too, especially how heavy this passage is on, on women today. Women, you're seen and celebrated, and we're grateful that you're not kind of image bearers, but you're fully. And even more than that, Jesus loved you enough to give his life for you. Pray for your home and your heart and that your hope would be rooted in him solely and only as your husband leads gently. Father, I pray for husbands in here as well, that they would rise to the occasion um, as you give power to do so. Help them live with their wives in an understanding way and lifting their wife in honor. Jesus, we give you all of these things. Thank you for hard verses, hard passages like this. We can't do these things on, your, on our own. We have to lean onto your power for that. It's in Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen.